Let me hear of joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Those are words from uh, the 8th through the 12th verses of Psalm 51, which is our psalm for today. So let's jump right in. It's Monday, March the 29th, 2021, and so here we are in Jeremiah. We're in Jeremiah 12, the first 16 verses today, and it begins with Jeremiah making a complaint, and he says, Righteous are you, Lord, when I complain to you, yet I would plead my case before you. And so what he's acknowledging is is that he has no real right to make a complaint in coming before the Lord because the Lord's righteous. Yet I would plead my case before you. In other words, to say the Lord still hears, even though what I'm saying may not be worthy of him because I come as a sinner, still I plead my case before you. And he's, what he's seeing is this treachery in the land all around him and how horrible uh, the people have become and how far they've come from, fallen from the heights that they knew when they followed the Lord. And so here we get Jeremiah's complaint about that in the first few verses of this chapter. And then the Lord speaks in response to that and and responds and says, you wouldn't make it (laughs) in a really bad place, Jeremiah. If you think this is bad, and it is, then it's much worse out there in the real world. Um, And that's a good reminder, I think, uh, for us because we can easily fall into a cynicism trap when we look around and see what we believe to be hypocrisy among our brothers and sisters, and it's possible they see some of that in you too. But Jeremiah is making that complaint, and then the Lord responds and says, I'm done with them. I've forsaken my house. I've abandoned my heritage. I've given the beloved of my soul into the hand of her enemies. My heritage has become to me like a lion in the forest. She has lifted up her voice against me. Therefore, I hate her. Oh, my. I don't think you could read much worse than for God to say, I hate my heritage. I hate my own people. Now, there's obviously because there's a covenant, that's not a permanent state of affairs. But the situation at the present when God looks at his people is so bad that he wants nothing to do with her. And and he says, I've got to burn it all to the ground. That's pretty much the rest of the message of that chapter. They have made it a desolation. Desolate it mourns to me. The whole land is made desolate, but no man lays it to his heart. Upon all the bare heights in the desert, destroyers have come, for the sword of the Lord devours from one end of the land to the other, and no flesh has peace. They have sown wheat and reaped thorns. They have tired themselves out, but profit nothing. They should be ashamed of their harvest because of the fierce anger of the Lord. It's a powerful invective against his own people. And, and the promise is, is, though, however, towards the neighbors who would take advantage of the people and the land. <clears throat> and he talks about that. And he, he says, I'm going to pluck them up from their land and I'll pluck up the house of Judah from among them. And after I've plucked them up, I'll have compassion on them. And I'll bring them again to each to his own heritage and each to his own land. And then he makes a promise that extends beyond them. And it's the promise, the same promise that we have. We're to be salt and light in the world. And here's the promise. It shall come to pass if they, the nations who, um, in who, among whom Israel is living, if they will diligently learn the ways of my people 
to swear by my name as the Lord lives, even as they taught my people to swear by Baal, then they shall be built up in the midst of my people. So there's a promise not just for the people of God, but also those in whose midst they will dwell. That if they'll begin to to take on the name of the Lord, the ways of, of his people, then he'll bless them as well and build them up in the midst of his own people. There's a well, we can get into it or not. It's, there's a, there's a, a set of laws that the Jews believe apply to righteous Gentiles, and those are the Noahide laws. And if you look those up, it's N-O-A-H-I-D-E. Uh, if you look those up, they're, they're basic um, sort of ethical and moral laws. And one of the things that's, that we have responsibility for under that set of beliefs is to establish righteous laws in the lands and where we live. And that's something that's truly important. It's the way most countries, I guess you could say that, most countries have set things up. And it's the way that in America that we've set things up. And we, we, we as Christians have an obligation to push for morals and ethics in in society. There's nothing wrong with Christians holding public office because we need to be people who are influencing um, the laws and the land. We need to influence through that means. It's not the primary means by any stretch of the imagination. Sometimes I think Christians forget that. The primary means is always the proclamation of the gospel in thought, word, and deed. But it's important for us to remember that, that we are among them, those who are non-Christians at this point in American history, and we need to be those who are salt and light into this culture. It's an important role for us to play if we truly seek the salvation of people around us and if we truly seek um, to be a Christian nation. So John, in the, in the gospel lesson, John tells us about what happens in the aftermath of, of the healing of Lazarus, and that is is that the large crowd of the Jews learned Jesus was there. This is in Jerusalem at the Passover, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. So this miracle has gotten remarkable attention, and and so people are hearing about it. And it's it seems like it's just prior to the Passover when this happens, and so you get all these pilgrims gathering together and coming from the four corners of the earth into Jerusalem and and word has gotten out among those pilgrims so so the word the 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 knowledge of the miracle and the the greater one that's yet to come will be spread abroad because it happens at a pilgrim feast and so people are coming to Jerusalem and so they're hearing the news of what's happened in Bethany with Lazarus and the raising from the dead they're hearing it as they're coming into the town and as they're gathering for this Passover feast, and there's this obviously a heightened sense of expectation about what might happen next. And so what was the reaction of the leadership? The chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. And if you contrast that with John's response when he is told that, look, they're all going out to him, and John's response was, I must increase decrease and he must increase. I'm not worthy to untie the strap of his sandals and all those kinds of things. And seeing that the generosity, the humility of John as compared to this, that people are going away and believing in Jesus, which means they're leaving them. Their influence and their power 
is being greatly diminished in this moment. And so the next day, the large crowd that came at the feast came to hear Jesus. <clears throat> they, they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. This is a, a procession literally fit for a king. They're, they're proclaiming him to be their king and greeting him in the way that that people greeted kings in those days whenever there was a procession into the city of a king coming to visit. This is exactly what would happen. But Jesus comes in in fulfillment of the word in Zechariah, and they, he asks for a donkey, and then he comes in riding on a donkey. Now, if he had come in on a horse, it would have been a proclamation of a powerful warlike kingdom, but he comes on the foal of a donkey, which means I come in peace. And so he comes into the city to this, this proclamation coming in in this way, which is fulfilling Zechariah's prophecy, very self-consciously so. And then people didn't understand. Even the disciples didn't understand as they watched all of this happening and they hear the crowd telling about Lazarus and what happened there. And the Pharisees said, See, you're garnering nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. It would have looked like that, certainly the whole Jewish world. And as we know from the lesson from John's gospel, that the Greeks were coming as well. So it's not just the Jews who are coming. It's also the people who are proselytes, those who are, who are making strides toward becoming Jews themselves. They've come into the city. And so literally the whole world has gone after him in this moment. And their response to that is jealousy and anger, and they can't allow that to happen. It's an awful thing. I, I heard a guy named Alistair Begg, I don't know if you all know who he is or not, but he is a church in um, Ohio and has a, a daily show. and a, uh, it's, a, it's a podcast, it's a Bible teaching, and an app called Truth for Life, and it's fabulous. Alistair Begg is one of the greatest teachers I've ever heard in my life. And, and what he decided during the pandemic was their, their services were available online through his YouTube channel, through the uh, Truth for Life app and all that kind of stuff. And recently, as other churches started to return to worship, Alistair Begg took down the services from the YouTube site and put them over on his church's site because he believed so strongly in the local church that he didn't want people to see being at home listening to his podcast as uh, a substitute for being involved in, in their local congregation. It's not just about the preacher. It's also about every person there being involved in the work of ministry and the work of the proclamation of the gospel as the body of Christ. And so I appreciate very much the fact that he could have built a, an empire for himself out of that. But instead, he turned that away and turned people back to the local church. And, and I think it, that's the way good leadership should react. Um, but here the Pharisees feel threatened, that their places are being threatened by Jesus. And so we can hear the ominous notes that are moving towards what will happen on Friday. The epistle is Philippians 3, 1 to 14. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. And, and remember, Paul writes this from prison. So he's, he's encouraging them to write from the Lord. So whatever prison you might be in right now, whatever you might be going through in your life that's difficult, painful, and um, a struggle, Paul should be our example for that. We can always rejoice no matter what. And then he's telling them to look out for the dogs, the evildoers, the ones who mutilate the flesh. And here he's talking almost certainly about a group of people that are called the Judaizers, and the Judaizers are the people that want 
the new Christian community to accept the sign of circumcision. So these, they want these adult converts to be circumcised just as proselytes would have been into Judaism. And so Paul is fighting against that. And the reason he's fighting against it is because he believes the sacrifice of Jesus in baptism then to be sufficient for all to enter. And it's the new sign of the new covenant. And then he goes into that the whole litany of we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus put no confidence in the flesh. And he says, you know, these people who want you to do that, you need to remember something here. And what you need to remember is I'm way more qualified than they are. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was the people of Israel, a tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He said, let's see anybody match their credentials with mine. Any of these people who are demanding that you be circumcised, you know, it's not like Paul is an outsider to that community. And he's instead saying, no, 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 I'm more of an insider than they are. I, I was better educated. I have everything going for me on that side of things. And I'm the one telling you, whatever gain I had through that, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul was a man who was truly and fully converted. He says, for his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Paul's another man who, when he recognized Jesus as king, he laid down his own crown. He laid down his own claim to righteousness because what he saw was the righteousness that he had under the law. All those things he listed there were nothing more than filthy rags because he sees the surpassing greatness of Jesus Christ. And if we can get there, my brothers and sisters, if we can get to the place that Paul was where we can see the surpassing greatness of Jesus Christ and lay aside everything else as filthy rags, then we'll become a powerful force in this world. We'll become those people who change the world. We'll become the people that, that people do see, and they'll diligently learn the ways of those people, God's people. And they'll begin to swear by His name as well. It's our job through our lives and through our proclamation of the gospel to save others as we save ourselves by following Him, by trusting only in Him, and by having and knowing nothing other than Him. We press on, forgetting what lies behind and straining towards what lies ahead. We press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And by so doing, we become those people who are winsome to the world.